This message is from Living Rock Church. We trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Thank you. We serve a great God, don't we? We serve a great God. I want to get straight into the word with us this morning. Um, I'm really excited about the times that we're living in. Lots of people are afraid of the times that we're living in, but we as the people of God need to be excited about the times that we're living in. Because as the world is shaken, the unshakable kingdom becomes more evident to the world. And that's God's whole plan. So it's an exciting time for us. And you just put the first slide up, please. Um, Back in February, I, I shared some things that the Lord had put on my heart, which... I feel are a a mandate for us this year in reaching out to the harvest that there are four ways that God wants us to do this, to be a refuge for the needy out in the world, to refresh the weary, to restore the broken and to redirect the lost. And I believe that everything we do will have these elements to them. And we can only do it when we are full of the unmatchable love of Jesus and when we're moving in the unstoppable power of the Holy Spirit with those two things we cannot fail folks in all that God has called us to do and that's why it's exciting to be alive it's exciting to be here because God has so much he's going to do and he's going to do it through us thank you Lord but I believe and last week when we were in the Lord's presence the Lord spoke to us about seeing about all of us seeing, not with these eyes, but with spiritual eyes, what God wanted to show us. And I believe that there is an anointing upon this body of people to do these things. But it's a corporate anointing. It's not for the individuals, it's for the whole body of people. It's for the entire congregation. And God's heart is for that corporate anointing to be at work in all of us. It's a corporate anointing but it requires an individual response from each of us. I believe it's a corporate vision, but it requires an individual spiritual sight from each of us to see the picture that God is laying out for us. In recent weeks and months, the Lord has challenged us a few times about where we're at, wanting to move us on to the next stage in our spiritual growth. Sometimes it can be hard to hear challenge from the Word of God, but you know what? He is our Father, He loves us, he knows the next stage in our development, and he wants to take us on to the next stage. He's spoken to us about growth and multiplication and an increase in our capacity as a people. And that requires a doubling of capacity. It's not something that's just going to happen collectively. It's something that's going to happen individually as well. That means for each of us, I believe that the Lord wants us to look to him for a doubling of our capacity spiritually, materially, physically, in every single sense, God wants to double you. He wants to entrust you with greater spiritual riches as he expands his kingdom. And that requires us to be individually responsive to God, not relying on the next person to say, yes, Lord, but stepping up and saying, yes, Lord. And that's how God wants to do things. It's how the Holy Spirit works amongst the body, is the whole body moving, every single part of the body In Ephesians 4.16, Paul says this. 
he makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I'm going to read that again for you, because you're going to get more excited the second time I read it. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Each of us have a special work to do, and you doing your special work helps me grow. Me doing my special work helps you grow, and together the whole body will be growing and full of love as God intends. And that's why this is a corporate thing. That's why God wants us all to catch a vision of what he wants us to do. Is that exciting? It's really exciting, isn't it? When I was thinking about this morning and and just waiting on God, saying, Lord, what do you want me to share this morning? I felt the Lord bring me back to these four things. And specifically, I want to spend some time focusing right now on refuge. Refuge. God as a refuge for us. Can you just flick onto the next slide, please? The concept of refuge and the origins of refuge. Last time when I spoke, we looked at the Old Testament. Just incidentally, who was here for that? Who was here and heard this already? Put your hands up if you've heard the podcast. Okay, just put your hands up again. All right, lots of hands down. If you haven't heard it, can I encourage you to go and listen to the podcast? Not because I preach a great message, but because I believe you just need to hear what God has to say. It's really important. It's on the website. Please go and find it. Please listen to it. It will bless you. It will encourage you. And it's what we all need to hear right now. Okay? In that message, I was talking about God being a refuge. And looking into the Old Testament, the concept of refuge came from cities of refuge that God instructed Moses and then Joshua to put in place. They were six cities that as Israel expanded into the promised land, they had to set up. And these cities would be a place where someone could seek refuge when they were being pursued by someone that wanted to kill them, by someone that wanted to exact revenge on them. Each of these cities had an interesting name. There were six of them. Kadesh meant righteousness. Shechem means shoulder. Hebron means fellowship. Beza means fortress. Ramoth means heights. And Golan means joy. And I think these six cities, even though their initial purpose was for people to flee for this reason, I think they pointed forward. They were a foreshadow of the refuge that God intends his people to provide to the people in the world, to strangers and foreigners that come into his people. Righteousness for those that are sinful. A shoulder for the weak. Fellowship for those that are lonely and seeking friendship. A fortress for those that feel persecuted and pursued by their old lives. Heights for those that are downtrodden in life and need to be raised up by God. And joy for those that are downcast and need to know the joy of the Spirit. God's heart is for us to be a refuge for those that are in the world. To hold out an open house that people can come into. And there were three important things about each of these cities that I think are relevant to us. The first thing is that they had to be accessible. The instructions were that the city gates would always be open. They even had to keep the gates free of any obstacles so that if someone was running for that gate and someone was pursuing them, they could always get into one of these cities of refuge. They would be prominent as well. 
the ways would be marked to these cities so that people wouldn't get lost looking for the refuge that the cities offered. And lastly, they had to be prepared. They had people on the lookout all the time looking for people that needed sanctuary in these cities. And I believe that that level of preparedness, accessibility and prominence is what God wants for us as his people. You know, when we reach out to the harvest, we can only reach out with what we've got. In the book of Acts, in chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple one day and they see a man who's lame from birth, begging, and he asks them for money because he was there to beg for money. And Peter said this to him. I love Peter's simplicity and yet profoundness and so much of what he says. He says, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, rise up and walk. I don't have silver and gold, but I'll give you what I've got. When we reach out to the harvest fields around us, the Lord wants you to reach out and say, I'll give you what I've got. What I've received, I'm going to give you. It's what I've received, I'm going to give you. Paul later said when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's what Paul had received. On the Damascus road, he realized that Jesus Christ had died for his sins and he passed that on. That's all he did. That was his ministry, was passing on the gospel that God had given him. So when we reach out to the harvest, we can only give people what we have. But we found our refuge in Christ. Writer to the Hebrew says in chapter 6, verse 18, that we are those who have fled for refuge. And then it says that we've fled for refuge and we hold on to the hope that's set before us. That's become an anchor for our souls. So in other words, the refuge that we have found in the house of God is the anchor for our soul, that we know the one who saved us. And we can hold out a hand to someone else and say, I can offer you refuge in the house of God because I found it. I know what that means. So it's really important for us that we understand what it means to find our refuge in God. We're not the place of safety. We're not the refuge. He is. That's what we're holding out. We're saying, you can trust him. This man, Jesus... I've given my entire life to him. He's my refuge. He's my rock. That's why the church is called Living Rock. Because we found the rock of Christ. And we hold him out to others and say, you can find this rock. I found him. He's the rock of my life. I want to talk this morning about three ways, and this is not an exhaustive list, in which I believe God is our refuge. But three ways that I think are prominent now in light of everything that's going on around us in the society in which we live. And brothers and sisters, I believe we need to be relevant and contemporary to the society around us. People are lost and floundering out there, and what's going on in the political climate is simply a mirror of everything else that's going on in society. People are lost and looking for answers, and institutions and people and and organisations and governments have let them down. And they are looking for something or someone else that won't let them down. We know who that is, don't we? It's King Jesus, who will never, ever let us down. 
The first thing I believe is this. First and foremost, we have found a refuge from sin that holds the whole of creation in bondage. The whole of this created world that we live in is held in bondage. And when we came to Christ, we found a refuge from that bondage. David read this morning from the scriptures in Romans chapter 6. And let's turn to that again. Let's read it together. Romans 6, and we'll pick up at verse 3. It's really important, folks, that we understand the significance of what happened when we came to Christ. I've been walking with the Lord now for over 30 years. And all of that time, I can genuinely say, if I had to sum it all up, it's taken me this long to have a vague understanding of what happened to me when I first came to Christ. Such is the enormity of what happened to me when I came to Christ, that the Spirit has spent year after year showing me what it really meant in my life. It hasn't become any more powerful, but my understanding of it has changed. And the more I understand it, the more I can walk in the revelation of it. Chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You know, a better translation of that is, our body of sin might be rendered powerless. Our body that is subject to the constraints of sin is rendered powerless. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died, sorry, for one who has died has been set free from sin. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17. Hopefully many of you know what this is before we get there. This is a single verse that takes years to come to an understanding of. It it shouldn't take years, but it often does. Because our actions sometimes are in the light of something that's not lining up with this verse. We're believing that the old has not gone. But the scripture says that when I came to Christ, if anyone is in Christ, put your hand up if you're in Christ. Put your other hand up if you're in Christ. In for a penny, in for a pound. Anyone who's in Christ, that's all of us who've just put our hands up. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're new creations, folks. Sin no longer has a hold on you and me. Now, I know our feelings will sometimes tell us otherwise. I know our minds will definitely tell us otherwise. But the truth of Scripture is that the power of sin has been broken. We found refuge in the blood of Christ. And he set us free. Hallelujah. From the power of sin over us. The world out there is dealing with the effects of sin. Because the whole of creation, Scripture says, is in bondage to sin. It's enslaved. And the kingdoms of man will try anything to try and fix the problems that come from sin. Medicine for diseases. 
Maybe it's therapy for social and mental problems. Maybe it's the law to try and fix lawlessness. But all of these things have one thing in common, which is they're treating the symptoms, but not the cause. They're not treating the root cause. When Jesus, when um, uh, Paul, sorry, wrote to the Romans, he talked about the law and Israel had gone through the motions of trying to follow the law, but their hearts needed changing. And that's why the gospel needed to come. And he describes the law as a, as a plaster, a band-aid for sin. It's putting a plaster on a wound, but it's not healing the wound. The only thing that could heal the wound was the blood of Christ. And the problem is man's heart. It's not all the fixes that he can come up with. It's man's heart. It's rotten, and he needs to find Christ. The world is looking for people who are not controlled by sin. The world is looking for people who are not controlled by sin. You know, when Cain murdered his brother Abel, before that happened, God said to him, Cain, be careful because sin is crouching at your door and it seeks to control you. But you must master it. And Cain went out and killed his brother. And that was the first recorded murder in history. And you know what? Sin still seeks to possess us. Even when we're saved, sin still seeks to possess and control you. But we don't have to be controlled by it. There's only one way not to be controlled by sin, and that is to die and be resurrected with Christ. That's what Paul was saying. That's the scripture we've read. When we go through those baptismal waters, our old life is cut off. The picture in the Old Testament is the Egyptian army that pursued the children of Israel when they fled Egypt. Pharaoh changed his mind. He sent his army after them. And they went through the dry bed of the Red Sea because the Lord parted it for them. When the Egyptian army got there, they tried to go through as well. But God sent the waters back and drowned the whole army. And that was a picture for you. God saying to you, that which I did there, that's what I've done in your life. That the power of your old life, that sin and the power of sin, I've cut it off just as decisively as I killed that whole army. It has no power over you anymore. But we need to live in the good of that. We need to live every day as if that were true. It's not make-believe. It's not wishful thinking. I'm going to live today as if I'm really free from sin. I really am free from sin. I just need to tell my brain that sometimes. But we have to live that way if we're to hold out that hope to others. Because there are people in the world who are trapped in sin, trapped in lives of sin, that cannot get free from it, with deep-seated problems that they've tried everything else for, and they will come to us, and we need to be able to say, the blood of Christ is sufficient to free you from that sin. No matter what is wrong with you, no matter how deep-seated the problems may be, and the world is just waking up to the massive legacy of mental health problems that are only going to get worse because the world is full of sin. And we need to be able to hold out the blood of Christ and say, the blood of Christ can stop all of that. And it can free you. The house of God can be a refuge for you from all those things of your past. We need to be living in the good of that. We need to be living the power of a resurrected life. You know, Paul says to the Romans, the whole of creation is held in bondage. And do you know what the whole of creation, he says, he's looking for? 
Anyone know? What's creation waiting for? The sons of God to be revealed. The whole of the cosmos is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed in all their fullness. Because we're the first fruits of what God's going to do when he restores the whole cosmos. Does that make you feel important? We are important in God's plans and in the plans for, for all of creation. So we need to be able to say, we can hold out our hand to others and say, I know that Christ can free you from the bondage that you're in. He's freed me from it. Second thing is this, and I think this is extremely relevant right now. We can provide refuge because we found refuge from the shifting sands of the world. When you come to Christ, you come to the rock of Christ and you build your life upon a rock. Until that point, you're building your house upon the sand. You're building your house on pillars of sand that will wash away. I remember my history teacher, probably the only thing I can remember from what my history teacher told me once the exam was passed, he said, there's, one, there's only one consistent thing about history, and that's change. It's the only consistent thing about history. And when you look at the world and the history of the world, the world loves anything that's new. Anything that's new, whether it's a trend, whether it's a new type of people, whether it's technology, whether it's a new system, institution, a new type of government, the world loves new stuff. The spirit of the world can't get enough of anything that's new. And here's the thing. The world gives the impression that it's constantly changing. Have you got the latest app? Have you got the latest phone? Have you upgraded your phone yet? Have you got the latest uh, package for your utilities? Have you got the latest car? Have you got the latest this? Have you got the latest that? You need to keep up to date because things are moving so fast. If you don't keep up to date, you'll be left behind. And we live in this sort of panicked commercial environment where it's constantly being broadcast at us. Do you know what it, it does? It keeps us off guard. It takes us off guard because we don't realise what's really going on. Nothing is changing in the world. Nothing changes. You know, that writer Ecclesiastes says pretty much what my history teacher should have said. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. That's Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, the words of Solomon. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Nothing's new. But the world gives the impression on the surface that it's all shiny and new. This is new stuff. You've never seen this before. Under the surface, it's the same. A couple of hundred years ago in this country some scientific thinkers took the decision to try and find a theory for how we came to be here other than the obvious thing that the Bible tells us, creation actually tells us, which is that God made us. And desperately sought for another way, another idea of how we could possibly have come to be. And you know what? That theory has never stayed the same. That theory of how the universe evolved never stays the same. In fact, if you're teaching from a textbook today that was published a year ago, it's out of date because the theory is constantly changing. What's happened since the Enlightenment 
is that men took the decision to abandon the principles of God. If you don't believe in a God who's the creator of the world, why bother with his principles? Why bother with his laws? Why bother with his Bible, with the word that he's given us? Why bother? Let's, let's see if we can do it better. Actually, we think this is a better way to do things. And bit by bit, slowly and slowly, society has abandoned godly principles for living. And we're now living with the legacy of that. And it's getting worse and worse. Today, constantly, politicians are talking about being progressive in their thinking. And the policies that we've seen in the last few years have not been progressive. They've been regressive. They've taken us back to a period in history that we've been through before. To moral states that the world has lived in before as normal. To the ancients, a lot of the laws that we now have and the morals that are now condoned and acceptable were perfectly acceptable thousands of years ago. We've not gone forward, we've gone backwards. But the world would like us to know that we're going forward, that we're being updated, we're being upgraded. The world's in a constant state of flux, folks. And that means that there are shifting sands under our feet. The idea of newness, of novelty, the world would like to think, keeps people interested. But do you know what it does? It just makes them insecure. Because nothing stays the same. Nothing can be relied on. This is what we have. We have a king who never changes. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says this about our king. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. James 1.17, James says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. For a number of years, whenever I heard someone say, God doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, I let you into a secret. What I used to think for a while was that God was a bit boring. I've got to be honest with you. I thought it was a description of God as some kind of slight nerd that doesn't really change. He's quite boring, very predictable. Yeah, if you want to find God on a Saturday morning, he'll be there taking the numbers down of trains. You know, he's just a boring train spotter. Because he doesn't change. How uninteresting is someone that doesn't change? But we have to understand what the Bible means when it says that. When the Bible talks about God not changing it means that he's consistent. You see, God has an infinite nature, unlike you and me. You can get to know me pretty well in a short space of time. To get to know God, how long do you think that takes? Eternity. He has an eternal, infinite nature. To get to know him, it's going to take us all of eternity. So God isn't boring. With God, there's something new every day. Because he's infinite. There's new things to discover about him every day. But everything that you discover about him will confirm everything you already know about him. You'll never feel insecure with something new from God, but it'll just confirm what you know about him. He's never inconsistent. He's always consistent with what you know about him. And everything he does, and every time you get to know him better, you just feel more and more secure. Because you know he will never let you down. You know he'll always be faithful. You know he's not going to be a shifting sand under your feet. But he's going to be the rock on which you can stand. Jesus knew this. 
You know, when he stood up in the boat in the midst of the storm and all the disciples were panicking, the calm that was in his heart was because he knew that his God was faithful. He knew that his Father was faithful. He knew he could stand up and he could rely upon his faithful God and he was never shaken. Folks, we need to have that same calmness and repose because we face the same storms that other people face. But our reaction needs to be different. You know, one of the ways in which I believe we can avail ourselves more of what God has provided is this. God has given us a pretty comprehensive description of who he is. And the wonderful thing about this word is that when I looked at the scriptures that I read today, they didn't change from yesterday. I looked one of them up yesterday, and guess what? When I opened my Bible today, it was the same. It didn't change. Now, you might say, that's right, Chris, because it was in a book, and it was printed, and that's just how life is. But you know that's not what I mean. I mean that it will always be the same. My feelings may tell me things about God's nature and about how he will react in a situation and about how he feels about me sometimes, but the word will always be a faithful witness to who God is. When your feelings are telling you something, the word will always tell you the truth. And that's why, folks, we need to be people who know the word. I know there are people that are sitting here saying, I've tried to read the word, I struggle to read the word. I'm not like those people that are in the word every day doing 10 hours of Bible study just for kicks. I don't know anyone like that, by the way, apart from David. But it can be easy to write yourself off in that respect. It can be easy to excuse yourself from getting into the Word. If you struggle to get into the Word, find someone who's good in the Word. Find someone who gets lots out of the Word and say, can I spend some time with you? Can I spend some time looking through the Word with you? And guess what? What's in them will rub off on you. What I have received, I pass on to you. When we put on equip courses that get you into the word, go to them. You know, maybe don't play golf that day. Maybe don't do shopping or other things that you're going to do. But that day, maybe I'm going to go to that and I'm going to get into the word because I realize that the word is actually the most important thing for me. When you have the word in you and you know the word, when you hear something about God or about you that's not right, guess what happens? like a bleeper goes off in your heart because the word is in your heart and you instinctively know what's right what's wrong and today we are finding lots of people who are saying things that are wrong in the world some of them are in the church saying things that are contrary to the word and we need to be prepared all of us we need to know the word so that when those things are said instinctively we say, that's not the word. Always hold fast to the word. Whatever we preach, it's in line with the word. And if what I preach is not in line with the word, come and tell me, come and talk to me. I don't expect that ever to be the case, but I want you to know it's in line with the word, not to take my word for it, that it's in line with the word. We need to know the word. When you have that plumb line that you can apply to every single situation you're facing... That is all you need. The plumb line that the Holy Spirit will use to guide you in every single situation. And that means you can hold out the refuge of the security of God to people who in the world are standing on pillars of sand and really they know it. 
The last thing. This one's a bit of an unusual one. I believe that God has given us refuge from the secrets of men. From the secrets of men. Today we're starting to see some of things that have been held in secret be exposed. And I believe that we're seeing the tip of the iceberg. So what we've seen in the whole area of abuse of children and the inquiry that is now to take place, Justice Lowell Goddard, who's come from New Zealand, specifically from New Zealand because she's not part of the establishment here, because there is a worry about people attached to the establishment in this country, is going to conduct a review that will go back to 1945. It would go back further than that if that were really possible. That's about as far back as they think they can do it. It's living memory. There is concern about what secrets lie underneath the surface. This is not new. Isaiah said, Isaiah 29, it says this, Woe to those who go to great depths, great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down, as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Show what is formed, say to the one who formed it, you did not make me. Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? Isaiah 29, verses 15 and 16. But do you know what? All secrets will eventually come to light. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14 says, For God will bring every deed in judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. I believe that what's, what's happening is, is that God is allowing secrets to come to the surface. And what it's doing is it's, it's creating insecurity. And the reason why it's creating insecurity is because people in society are looking at things that they thought were one thing and realizing that there's something else. So when the allegations about Jimmy Savile first broke, everybody thought, this is not the Jimmy Savile I thought we knew. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. That was just a foreshadow of what's to come. In the world, people see things with their eyes. But in the kingdom, we need to see things with our spiritual eyes. And God spoke to us about that last week. You know, the Lord wants you to see with your spiritual eyes. And it takes practice to do that. In Hebrews 6, the writer says, those who have by practice learned to discern what is good, what is right, and what is wrong, to discern the difference. It takes practice, relying upon the Holy Spirit. But I believe we need to be prepared for that. Because we can't be people that are shaken when things out there are not what they appear to be. We need to see through what you can see with the physical eyes and see things in the spiritual realms. When events are taking place, we need to see things in the spiritual realms. When we meet people who don't know Christ, we need to see what's going on in the spiritual realms with that person. Not just what they're telling us about their life, but what the Holy Spirit wants to show you about their life. This is a whole other level of function, isn't it? Yeah? This is not out of your grasp. This is not beyond what you can do. Because it doesn't rely on your ability. It relies upon the Holy Spirit 
to give you the gift of discernment. All you need to be is willing to move in that. All you need to be is willing to listen to the Holy Spirit and practice listening to his voice. And then in situation after situation, he'll start to speak to you about what's going on in the spiritual. To hold out a refuge for people. People need a refuge from the secrets of men. Because as things are exposed, suddenly their whole world changes around them. And I think we're going to see more and more of this as God works all things together for his purposes. People are going to be looking for a people of integrity. That's what the world wants to see. Integrity. Who is really who they say they are? If it isn't us, folks, who is it? But we need to be those that stand up and say, we're a people of integrity. We are a people of integrity. We live open and transparent lives. Our lives need to be an open book. And the only way we can do that is to live following the Holy Spirit, dealing with things in our life when there's sin in our life, keeping short account with God and fellowshipping closely with him, living by the word, and then I believe that we will be what people need us to be. You know, Roger spoke um, at the beginning of March um, about what he called a a manifesto, a manifesto. And a manifesto, which we're hearing lots of at the minute, um, Nigel Farage this week described uh, UKIP's previous manifesto five years ago as 400 and something pages of drivel, Um, but would like you to believe that the 400 odd pages that they've produced this time round is good stuff. Manifesto after manifesto makes promises and pledges. But what a manifesto is, it's saying this is what we're about. This is what matters to us. These are our values. And he talked about the boundary stones that mustn't be moved. And in the coming months, we're going to be coming back to some of these things and talking about and speaking about the boundary stones, how important they are for us in this time. I believe these four things are our mandate this year that should underpin everything that we do. And specifically to be a refuge for those who need to escape what's going on in the world. People are looking to flee and they need to find the rock of Christ. Three things about those cities. They were accessible. Are we living open lives? Are we accessible? Are there any barriers that we put in front of us that stop people coming to us? Or do we have the gates open 24 hours a day? I don't mean literally, by the way. I don't mean open your homes 24 hours a day. Not at the minute, anyway. But are we living accessible and transparent lives? Are we prominent? Do you know the only thing you need to do to be prominent, wherever God has placed you in the workplace or in the college or at home or wherever, is to let the evidence of God's grace be on display. It's not about saying, hey folks, look at me. I'm this super duper Christian and I think you should all look at me and and maybe do what I do. It's about letting the evidence of God's grace in your life be evident to all. That's all people need to see. 
Because it's Christ people are attracted to, not you. That's a relief to me. (laughs) And the last thing is that they were prepared. Are we prepared? We need to be on the lookout all the time. In the next few years, there's going to be a shaking in this country. There's going to be economic upheaval. There'll be social upheaval. There'll be a lot of insecurity after the general election. There's concern that there'll be a bit of a free-for-all. Now, I think all those things will get settled down, but people will be feeling insecure, and we need to be on the lookout, folks, to be able to say, I found my refuge. I need you to meet him. He's the king of kings. He could change your life just like that. I want to introduce you to Jesus. And you know what? There are so many people that are just waiting for you to say that to them and to hold out the refuge that they've been looking for. Amen? Amen. Father, I just pray with all of my heart that we will be faithful in responding, Lord, to your desire for where you want to lead us. Lord, we are so excited about all the things that are in your heart. We are your servants, Lord. Our heart is only to do your will. And so, Lord, as we... As we are here before you, Lord, we just still our hearts and we say, Lord, let this house of yours, Lord, let this house of God be a refuge for those that are seeking the refuge of Christ out in the world. Lord, let us open our arms, let us extend our hands, Lord. Let us be moved by your love and let us do everything in the power of your spirit. For your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hand over to David. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.